0: The Dude Abides on Radio 8-Ball. Jeff Dowd, a.k.a. The Dude, with Andres Jones here on Radio 8-Ball, coming your way all the way, all the time. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Radio 8-Ball, give us a shake. We're here in the studio, tempting fate. To the songs which we will randomly select Here with the help of our friend Synchronicity And now it's time for The Radio 8 Ball Show
2: Welcome to Radio 8 Ball, the show where we answer questions by picking songs at random and interpreting those randomly chosen songs as the answers to the questions like picking musical tarot cards. I'm your host, Andras Jones, and today is the season finale of our second season of Radio 8 Ball, and it's a pretty exciting one. We're going to be digging into the lexicon and lore of the Lynx with the creators and some of the cast of Lodge 49, AMC's new-ish series. They're going to be starting their second season on August 12th, and we're excited to be a part of their, I don't know, their big promotional rollout for that. I am a huge fan of the series. If you like what we do on Radio 8 Ball, working with synchronicity and music, sort of playing fast and loose with the sacred and the profane, then... I have a feeling you're gonna really dig this show. It's just, it's very smart, very cool, very funny, very thoughtful. And we'll dig into it a bit, but basically, it's a story of uh, sort of a big Lebowski esque. Character who's sort of a cross between Big Lebowski and Hamlet. And uh, he wanders into a Lynx Lodge, which is an analog for like a Freemasonic Lodge. And then an adventure ensues and a series unfolds. And we get to hang out with the creators of that and i'm super excited about that now well, if, if you're, you're interested, interested in what's going, what's going to be happening, be happening with season three, three and Radio how Lake long Ball, the break is going to be long, between season two and season three i encourage you to stick around till the end of this episode or if they're already out that all out there uh just fast forward to the go to the last episode and find out what i said because i'll get to that after we Get through discussing Lodge 49 with these fabulous folks. And for the oracle fodder for these musical divinations, you may wonder, hey, Andras, uh, how come you haven't introduced the musical guest? Well, we don't have a live musical guest for today's show. In fact, I am commandeering that role for my uh, for my album, All You Get. We're going to be using music from my album All You Get, which comes out on August 8th and which is going to be occupying a fair amount of my promotional time over the next couple of months. And I figure if I generate any nice promotion for my record, I want to point it back to Radio 8 Ball so that folks discover all of these other musicians and folks that we've been working with. So, yes, it is shamelessly self-promoting, but I like to say that uh, my music is like a, there's a, there's an old an, uh, analogy or it's a, a Buddhist phrase that says most religions are like a finger pointing at the moon, but uh, unfortunately most people make the mistake of worshiping the finger. And in that sense, uh, I, I like to I like to think of myself as a finger pointing at all of the great guests we've had on this show. And while I appreciate anyone who chooses to worship my finger, uh, it's pointed at you. And uh, that's kind of the alchemy of the show. And we're going to be talking alchemy and poetry and music and art with the creators and cast and crew, or some of them, from this great show, Lodge 49. But first, let's get to the oracle fodder for our musical divinations. Song number one, The Things I Have to Live Without. Song number two, Natalie Wood Said. Song number three, Spin the bottle. Song number four, Cartesian Shack. Song number five, Insecurely. Song number six, Jealousy Nation. Song number seven, One More Figure in the Picture. And song number eight, Absolutely No Sense of Humor. Now we're here with our very special guest. He's the writer and the creator of the show I was just telling you about, Lodge Forty Nine. Welcome to Radio Eight Ball, Jim Gavin.
0: Hello. Thank you for having me.
2: Oh, it is such a—it's so I'm so excited. I'm a huge. I've I've watched the series twice for pleasure, a third time for research. Season one, I love it.
0: Great. I hope. We hope we wanted to make a show that rewarded uh, a second viewing, so I hope it. I hope, I hope oh, you found that.
2: Yes. Uh, so I don't know how are we how are we feeling about spoilers on season one?
0: Uh, I think we can talk about season one.
2: Okay. Well, I'll just say that there was a gigantic dragon that I missed the first time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and The fact that you put so much uh, effort into a special effect that if you were <laughs> if you were if you blinked, if you looked away from the TV, you might for a second you might not know that there are dragons in this show.
0: Right, which is very on brand for us. If we we punish you for looking at your phone while you're watching, um, yes, that's, that's <laughs> our goal.
2: Yes, indeed. Well, but at the same time, you you're I think the your show. Well, now our show, Radio Eight Ball, is all about exploring synchronicity, and I feel like your show. Is speaking of being on brand, is very when I re- when I saw it, I had this real strong sense of uh, kindred relationship, and not just because David Urey, who's an old friend of mine, popped up in the show, that always helps, but uh, yeah. just the voice that you bring to it and the way that the show straddles what I call I refer to it on the, on this show a lot is sort of straddling the sacred and the profane. Like you're dipping yeah. your toe in the sacred, but we're fully in trying to create something that's entertaining and fun. And I think your show to, I think your to, your show totally succeeds at it. Lodge forty nine, by the way, premiering its second season, August twelfth on AMC. My birthday, so a great birthday present <laughs> to me that I get to start yes, well, with season two. Happy
0: birthday. Um yeah, no, all that stuff is crucial to the way we kind of imagine this world where Um, there's intimations of of larger, more mysterious stories and uh, maybe a hidden reality. But in the end, our characters and their day-to-day lives, I I think we all experience these kind of eerie moments of coincidence. And usually we just kind of blink twice and move past them. And I think part of Large 49 is kind of staying with them a little bit more. And our central metaphor is, is kind of alchemy and it's kind of philosophical expression and central to that is this notion that there is a secret harmony to the universe and if you could just train your eyes in a certain way that you'd be able to see it. You could almost see the pattern of your life. You could get above the maze a little bit and part of that is just kind of recognizing these coincidences and moments of serendipity and uh, Peter Ocko and I, uh, Peter's the showrunner, we, we take that to heart in the writing of the show as well and I could go on and on about all the number of things that even allowed this show to take place that just seemed like kind of, you know, really fluky luck. Um, And I say all this as someone who is generally a skeptic, but I think the show embraces this notion of of, uh, secret harmony. Um, You know, it's at its core.
2: Yeah, one of the ways that I've described Radio 8Ball in the past is that it's like calisthenics for the training, the part of our mind that recognizes synchronicity, like the more you pay attention to it, the more you see it. Uh, yeah, which I feel like the character Blaze uh, in the very first seat, first episode with his whole thing about the augury of birds, I feel like yeah. oh I, I saw that I was like okay I like these guys yeah. <laughs> I like these guys. Um, th- for a second, I want to talk about the auguries of David Spade. For uh, I had a I had a crazy synchronicity this morning. I was uh-huh. I was driving to the session, listening to Middlemen the book on tape of middlemen that I've been listening yeah. to. And I was in the middle of uh, the episode, uh, the the chapter, the luau. Right. And I, and just as one of the characters, what's his, what's the character? Is his name Larry?
0: Uh, the, which, who the talk, older guy?
2: The older guy who's talking about, da- who oh, thinks yeah. that David Spade um, is Martin Short. Yeah, so yeah,
0: just as Larry.
2: as Larry is getting David Spade wrong for Martin Short and saying that he doesn't <laughs> see David Spade much, I see a gigantic billboard of David Spade for his new show. And <laughs> right. I was like, oh, the auguries of David Spade. Yeah,
0: <laughs> but, it has go on. some sort of terrible meaning that, we'll, that will only become clear later.
2: Well, it only goes deeper because... Now I, I also say I, I listened. I listened to every podcast that I could find of you talking. So I'm going to try and avoid all the questions you've got in the past, and yeah. actually try and fill in one that was I feel like was missed. You were on a podcast. I don't know. Maybe it was for the first season. Must be. And you were talking about uh, you were talking about Paul Giamatti and the film Shoot 'Em Up. Yeah. Which you're a fan of. I'm a fan of. Yes. Yeah. And. I believe now Paul Giamatti is a producer on the show, but is he also the the guy reading the book on tape? Uh,
0: yes, he <laughs> is. The vo- he is uh, the book by El Marvin Metz, the writer of uh, international intrigue thrillers. Uh, is the voice of Paul Giamatti in the first season? I
2: I love that. Okay, so now so there's there's sort of now the synchronicity is filling out because there's this whole synchronicity of books on tape. The way I love the way your show plays with that that's like one of these little subtle touches that even before this funny little synchronicity that i just really adored about the show and i only really figured that out when you were on that podcast i think it was maybe the freemasonic podcast that you were on
0: oh right right yeah
2: and you brought up Shoot, shoot 'em shoot him up and they didn't know what it was i was like
0: oh you guys you gotta
2: know shoot him up plus there's a crazy synchronicity because that film ends david yuri from lodge 49 is in the last scene of shoot em up are you aware of that
0: Oh my god. Wow. Okay. Yeah, he's one of guys, the creeps in the diner
2: little... at the la- in the last scene. <laughs>
0: Why does David always get typecast as a creep? Not
2: fair. It, well, uh, you know what? It's it's unfair to the rest of us who thought that, you know, that having pretty faces would get us into the movie business. Yeah. You have exactly. a face like that, you know, you're like in the Bogart, Peter Laurie, you know, you're in that, you know, you should be in a John Huston film or in a Jim That's Gavin cool. series.
0: Well, my favorite quote about Lodge Forty Nine comes from Brent Jennings, who plays Ernie, and he said Lodge Forty Nine is heaven for character actors, uh, which I we we take that to heart as as we are all character actors. At, uh...
2: Yes, we are. Yeah, although I guess we all play. I guess, and at the same time, we all. I was thinking this morning about the the parallels between Dudley and Hamlet. Just oh, here's another okay. guy engaging magic and drama in the wake of his father's untimely you know and mysterious death. Yeah. I know everyone compares him to Big Lebowski, which makes a lot of sense. In fact, that's sort of how I when my when I shorthand it to people I'm like it's Big Lebowski meets Freemasonry. Just you got to check <laughs> it out. With and I always say with a very unique v- writer's voice that we haven't heard before and that's you know i you're saying that there are all these synchronicities that led you to this and i i have to imagine that's the case because when i started looking for you i was like i can't find anything on this guy except your books and yeah so for if you don't mind telling a little giving us a little peek behind the curtain how do you go from and i know you 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 had a book and then you wrote a, a pilot and someone read it and What's this, maybe the synchronistic path to, to where you are now, and maybe uh, one little dip into that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I've, I'm someone who had many careers, um, many failed careers, and when I was about 30, I started taking adult education classes in writing, and that kind of helped me turn a corner. And um, I I was totally concentrated on, on fiction, and I just wanted to write a book. I had no intention of—I never thought writing would you know, make a living or anything, but— I was lucky enough to have a book published, and it's all kind of about life in Southern California, as I know it. Um, and then I had these, these years where I was trying to get teaching work and failing, and I had this idea for this, a story. And I realized that, it, I think because of the current age of television, I realized that like this is a kind of a longer narrative um, and it felt like, okay, I'll write this as a pilot and see what happens. And I, I didn't even know what an act break was. I kind of just wrote it as I would have written like a short story. It just, there's no, you know, I wasn't worried about acts and stakes and all that. I was just kind of writing the characters and, uh, it eventually got to an agency. And one thing that helped, the original title was going to be the lodge. And I, then I was thinking about all these Masonic lodges. But they're all, they're all numbered. All the Elks lodges are numbered. And when I was thinking of, of coming up with a number, I just, you know, I've always been a big pension fan, and I, I could just kind of feel a little bit of that, you know, the, the kind of the, the thing he does in the show. And, you know, I, it's not at all like Lot 49 or anything, but it has, I just decided to make a loving Pynchon illusion. So I called it Lodge 49, and then when it went, it went out to producers um, it landed with D- Paul Giamatti and Dan Carey who are both you know pinch and freaks uh, like I am and I think just having that little number there like set off a little alarm bell for them and they read it and loved it and you know I, I think back if I just called it the lodge it might have just just in a more generic sense but adding the number uh, 49 which also has all these alchemical, you know, it's a 49 and the gold and Pentecost and transformation, all these references. Um, It did. It did matter. Like that little choice did matter to to these to Paul and Dan, you know. Um, So I always think about that, like just that moment where I just kind of on a whim. I was like, I'll just throw 49 on the end of (laughs) it. And Mm -hmm. it, it seemed to help.
2: Yeah, well, when you do, when I think, that, I mean, again, this is—I'm going to keep drawing parallels because I just—I that's sort of how I, how I see the world, and particularly in—I I see the world that you've created. I feel like, oh, this is where the Venn diagram is. There's something that crosses, and like that idea that the the accidental thing, the sort of just like just even if you mean to do it, doesn't have to be totally random. But even if yeah. you mean to just be like, oh, I'll just toss something off, if you let the wheel go a little bit. That's when this, when some real magic can come through—magic in the sense of art—that that that like some kismet, some synchronicity can come through. Um, Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, so I I want to dig into a a couple of other things about the show that I just some appreciations, things that I that I really love, and I'm curious if you. If they were intentional. So there's this whole so the Lynx Lodge is obviously a metaphor for a Freemasonic Lodge. And I think that's pretty that's right there for, for you for us to see. But I thought that one thing one of the things that was really wonderful about the show, or is really wonderful about the show, is that you also portray the plumbing business like a kind of a cult. And you portray the the corporate world of Shamrocks and whatever the the corporate overlords of that company are. What are they called?
0: Uh, Omni, <laughs> Omni Capital
2: Food Partners West. <laughs> Omni Capital Food Partners West. That, that has this real, like, they have initiations and they have all this, like, everyone has initiations and lingos and secret handshakes. Like, it's not just, maybe ultimately the idea is that the Lodge is at the center of all of it, but yeah I, I loved watching it and saying, oh, yeah, when, uh... I feel bad now, the sister, uh the Sonia cassidy character uh Liz, when Liz goes off on her when well, she's sort of halfway through the series, she goes off on her initiation rituals, which I thought was just now I'm curious, but but was that an intentional thing to draw these parallels? uh
0: yeah, yeah, it was. I think um I kind of see the world that way, that you know you're always there's always some door, secret door that you feel like if you can just get through. Uh, something might change and within every organization there's kind of these uh, this like this language and uh, that you master uh, when you master the language you master the world and the the Lynx has a version of that um, which yeah the Lynx is kind of a composite of you know the, of Freemasonry and Rosicrucianism and also just kind of you know Elks and Oddfellows and all these things and we kind of invented our own version of it that is very much Grounded in kind of uh, you know the, that whole history, um, but we're also applying that to all these other little worlds within Lodge or within the kingdom of Long Beach, and so yeah, like Omni has a is a secret society feel to it in its own way. Um, and for me, I just as a writer, I love I love the ornate language of of uh, secret societies and i also love the kind of just gilded emptiness of corporate speak especially kind of contemporary corporate speak and hearing characters just say those ridiculous things is, is a joy and i, I kind of love pulling that apart um so yeah all those things kind of matter as far as plumbing i will say i i come from a plumbing family and i used to work as a plumbing salesman i basically had ernie's job so a lot of that is, is a love letter to that world but it's another world where you have to master the language to be taken seriously.
2: Well, yeah, and I just think there's like there's some fun parallels in the show between the plumbing brochure and the Lynx brochure, and just like all these little, it gets just it it's just it felt very, uh, yeah, it just the the world felt very cohesive in that way, and I love yeah. that. I love that, uh, I love that for the line you're talking about the the corporate speak. Hit me with your dream storms. I also, like I said, I wa- so for those of you who, have, who, are, who are tuning into this and you haven't watched the whole first season at least once, I'm sorry that we're a little bit ahead of you, but by the time you catch up and are ready for season two, you'll, you'll get all these references. But uh, there was, oh, okay, and this we, we can cut out if you want to just keep it a secret thing that you sort of snuck in there. But you had this point where Ernie says, I'm in the middle of the middleman man. And I was like, is he giving us a wink to his book?
0: Uh, perhaps. Although when I wrote it, I didn't realize it. And then I, I'm always, I'm i I'm an, I'm an idiot generally, like on the page. And then I take a step back and see what's happening. Oh, that's great. I could have taken, I could have taken it out, but I chose to keep it in. So exactly. Yes, it
2: is no, I think yeah. it, it, it was great. I think that's, I, again, it's sort of, I think that's part of what makes it feel like one voice. Like, when you're hanging out with one voice, they can reference other things, and if you're in it, you get more of it. So I I, yeah. think, I always think that's rich, and I, I just, I, I, I get that from the show. I mean, it seems very cohesive, but it seems cohesive in a way that can't be entirely intentional. Like, if you were just right. craftsmanly going after this world, and you didn't have an innate love for plumbing and Freemasonry, yeah, or, uh, not even, I want to say Freemasonry, but esoteric, uh, knowledge, let's say, that's right. kept by these different lodges, or you know, claim to be cl- kept by these different lodges. You know, then it wouldn't it wouldn't feel cohesive. It would feel like it would feel researched. This doesn't feel researched. This feels like oh, of the word might be shambolic. <laughs> like,
0: yeah, no, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of me in this, in every part of this. Um, you know, when you when you write a book, it is all you. But the joy of doing this and is getting to collaborate, like, with Peter Occo and uh, everyone on our team here and our cast, obviously, who's amazing. And everyone's kind of tuned in, in in a special way. And, you know, we, we call them lodge moments. Like, someone will be out in the world, like, you know, Wyatt or Sony or Brent, and something will happen, and they'll say, you know, the, the term they use is very lodge. And I think just working on the show is kind of a tuned, is, you know, made us tune into that. Uh, everything we've been talking about Um, and that just kind of feeds it in so I I hope my voice is kind of guiding the show but there's there's so much so many more wonderful aspects to it that kind of you know lift that into a new place and that's that's really the joy of doing getting to work in a collaborative uh, medium
2: absolutely and I guess I'm probably having that attitude of being free to allow things to happen then just creates more of that maybe the attitude that you take towards writing might filter into the way that like I know as as when I've worked as an actor on a set if people are loose and f- and feel confident in what they're doing it allows me to feel loose and confident in what I'm doing and allow m- inspiration to come through and not feel so tight and then that you know that's probably yeah. how you get the it- show you have.
0: You know, it's weird. Like, the first season, we had all 10 scripts. So it is a combination of being both open to discovery and the writing. But, you know, I, I think our, our show has the kind of appearance of, and I and I like that I feeling of kind of symbolic and, and moving, just moving at its own pace. But really, like, we, everything is kind of foretold. Everything is kind of uh, set up, you know, and no, nothing is there by accident. And I think... My hope is that a viewer can re- just kind of go through once and have a, you know fun with our characters and the, all the, the emotional parts of the story and the, you know all the kind of screwball stuff we do. But on the second viewing, they can actually see this other layer and, and the way these things are kind of structured. So our 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 joy is kind of we trust the viewer. Like we don't we never hold anyone's hand, and we you know we want to leave it you know, leave some room for interpretation and for discovery for the viewer. Um, the things I love, I, I, I watch again and again, you know, because I'm, I'm always discovering something new. And, what, you know, hopefully we, we have pulled that off on, on some level.
2: Oh, yeah. Yes, I, I think so. I mean, I've, again, I've, I've listened to you do several interviews now, uh, and I've heard you say that you have it all mapped out. You know how this ends. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's part of uh, that's. I, I think again, that's. Uh, I mean, that's just a sign of of, of a good show uh, that is taking us. That, but I, I, but I have to say, at the same time, the the ease at which you're taking us there. Uh, maybe this is a credit to also to AMC because I feel like it's a similar thing that I feel from um, Better Call Saul is this yeah. very. They're really you know, it's just like they're allowing people to be relaxed about getting to the point and you can spend some time like I, I yeah. actually I loved that there we didn't and I, no spoil no spoilers I guess but there is only one point in the show where there's what I would call like an explosion of violence and it happens very late in the show and it is even it is sort is very odd I think you know what I'm talking yeah. about yeah uh, and even that but it really sticks out that. And yeah. I think that might seem like a funny off joke, like a side joke in a series that that really, uh, you know, dealt in that currency. So yeah. when you have a moment of even what would be minor violence in another show, it really pops. It's like, whoa, okay, wow, that just that just happened. Yeah,
0: yeah. And when we do stuff like that, it is there's a kind of a vaudeville quality to it. You know, like I think our our particular universe is generally humane on some level like that's where we operate i mean we we make our characters suffer quite a bit but you know you know when we make these kind of larger when we move into kind of these more preposterous uh you know parts of the story you know yeah it it is fun to have those moments and i do think uh the quieter aspects of our show only help when we when we do something like that so Um, And I think in season two, you know, we kind of have a similar rhythm. Uh, We have some big, you know, set pieces and crazy stuff happening and setting the table. But then we also just have we're back into the lives of our characters as as they kind of negotiate uh, our contemporary world uh, in Long Beach.
2: Yeah. As as shocking as that was, it was not there were other things that were far more shocking that happened in the show. Like, just the way Liz deals with the the corporate event. Right. (laughs) That was one of these moments, uh, like, a real, like, holy shit moment for me on the show. Like, whoa. I had to rewind. Did I? What the? just what the hell just happened <laughs> that and that just really i mean i love that i love that but we should get into we, we we're gonna have you ask a, a question for the pop oracle in a minute but we have to start off with the uh, with my question the host's question okay. and, uh usually i dive right into that but i i wanted to, hit, to take some time to to really ask you some questions about this show that yeah I'm no, a little bit it. obsessed with at this point just a little bit <laughs> so my question is actually, and this is something I've been doing a little bit more recently, uh, so forgive me if it seems a little bit weird, but we'll, it'll, it'll make sense. So when this all came together, I was so excited, I decided to write a little a little song for Lodge 49 that would uh, sort of help me to find my question. And it's, okay. it's a very short little thing, and it's not like I'm not pitching it to Lodge 49, it's more like a song that Don Fab and the band could play at a, a rap party or something like that yeah, yeah. Like, but uh, it, go, it goes like this
1: Southern California is Northern Mexico the sacred texts are warn ya as above so below so California in Georgia why not it's all the same. So California in Georgia, well, California in Georgia, well, California in Georgia, say my name, Ooh. Wap, wap, ooh. Wap, wap, ooh. Yes.
2: <laughs> and that's because I found out from David Yuri that you shoot a bunch of the show in Georgia, which at first was like, that can't be. This show feels so like Long Beach. How do they do it? And then I remember... This is movie magic. You can do that. <laughs> and I know, and then I listened to an interview where you said that you do, you, you do a week of for every episode of legit Long Beach shooting, and that's why yeah. you get that. But it leads me to my question, which is, and this is something I think about for myself, too, and maybe it's something you can relate to, is that when we use real stuff— be it places, people, or in our case, esoteric imagery and like traditions to make our art, to inform our art as the, as the stuff of our art, how much of our pretend actually has real impact that we, we, we might be unaware of. So does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, so now the way we're going to get into talking about that, but we're going to actually get the answer by picking a randomly chosen song from our list of selected songs. So now, to engage the pop oracle of the songs from All You Get Plus One, I'm now going to spin the Wheel of Eight.
1: Na, 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 wheel of eight.
2: Song number four, which is Cartesian Shack.
1: (laughs) There's a Cartesian Shack where I go to unwind out back. And the fumes in the shack are so thick That at first I start feeling sick But then the nausea dissipates And I'm suddenly Cartesian Shack Cartesian Shack Oh yeah Cartesian Shack Oh yeah Cartesian Shack, oh, yeah. Cartesian shack. A vision under me First I see her Then she sees me And she offers me some cheese I say no thank you I'm a vegan And she gets down on her knees And worships me Till I believe her, but bump, bump, bump in my Cartesian shack. Cartesian shack, oh yeah. Cartesian shack, oh yeah. Cartesian shack. Oh, yeah. Cartesian shack. And you think for you are. That's pretty good, but I've gone further. Slumped here at the bar. I could've. Bid your yeah, fucking Führer But I'm the stupid star Of my private controversy and now you know the score So maybe you could spare some mercy Cartesian Shack Oh yeah Cartesian Shack Oh yeah Away yeah. back in a Cartesian Shack bah, bah, bah. Cartesian Shack
0: Losing my mind. Where should I start? And
2: that was, great. that was Cartesian Shack from my record "All You Get," coming out on August eighth. Answering my Lodge forty nine inspired question about uh, what happens when we use magic for our art and uh, what kind of real world quote real world ramifications that might have. And it sounds like Jim, like your mind is 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 blown by that reading. Tell us how.
0: Yeah. I'm going to preface this uh, before we get to the larger question. Um, and maybe you knew this. I don't know. I'm guessing you didn't. I, I'm going to chalk this up to just weird serendipity. Um, in season two, uh, David Yuri's character, Champ, utters the line, we live in a Cartesian cage. Shut up. Uh, no, absolutely serious. <laughs> no, and, I had no uh, idea.
2: I wrote this song 20 yeah, years ago,
1: so... <laughs>
0: Yeah. And I swear to God, when I just before I was looking at the kind of, you know, the the songs that are, and I saw the title for it. I saw Cartesian Shaq and I just knew that's where the eight ball would land. And so here we are.
2: Um, oh, wow. Well, le- well, let me, I'll give you the quick, the the background of that song. Usually that's what I do. I ask yeah, the songwriter yeah, to give the background. So this is uh this is a song, it, it It actually, to me, the answer is, uh, well, is in the song, is I wrote this song when I was in, uh, I was married and I, you know, I, I don't know if you're, if you're married, but when I, sometimes you just need that little, that room of your own to go into and write and create and whatnot. Yeah. And I love that and I protected it so, and I sort of had this really strong that this was my song, a celebration for that. Yeah. And then the relationship ended and all of this stuff happened. And many years later, I actually found myself living in a literal shack. <laughs> I bartended for like eight years in, a, in 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 and around a small town. And I don't know if small town bartending is weird. Like yeah. every mess... Stays a mess forever until eventually it comes and gets you, and I so and I found so there was a way that the song is was very prophetic for me, and the one thing the thing I thought you were going to say, which uh, you were wondering if I knew, is I I didn't know it till I read I had written the song that I wrote about uh, California and Georgia. Yeah. Uh, before I read, before I was listening to Middleman and heard that you were a Harry Nilsson fan, but that song was felt very Harry Nilsson-y to me. I don't know oh, if you yeah. actually are a Harry Nilsson fan. I assume. No, that that character and that story is an analog for you. Oh,
0: absolutely.
2: Absolutely. Um, so, but but yes. Yeah, so, well, uh, tell us about the the Cartesian cage. Right.
0: Uh, I mean, the the reference in the show is just kind of. Uh, the notion it kind of relates to the notion of reality, you know that we can doubt everything, but the one thing we can't doubt is that we're doubting uh, our senses lie and all this um and it's it's just kind of a you know like with champ' it's a, everything it's an offhand line uh that has a larger significance um, but yeah that's where that's where it plays in the show, as far as you know just talking about the way this uh song kind of relates to you know, this, how we kind of create the little worlds, you know, that we make for ourselves. Um, I, I've often found that, you know, all something I've, you know, there's something prophetic in in writing, whether we want to, I've written characters that I've later met, you know what I mean? And in in moments like that. And I think, you know, in a larger way, I, my favorite writer is James Joyce and, Mm. um, his what his, his commitment to just writing the world he knows, like Dublin, he left Dublin, but he never did in a sense, and that he names every street. He names, there's a sacred quality to just like the bits, the mundane bits of his world that he always has a specific, he always calls the thing the thing, and he doesn't worry whether anyone, someone else is going to get the reference. He just does it because it's meaningful to him and has some kind of talismanic quality And I've tried to do that. You know, that's why, like, I I do – I'm I'm trying to be as as place-specific as possible. And, you know, the references characters make, the streets they live on, these all have a magic quality to me. Nothing makes me more excited as a writer than kind of, like, either naming a bar or a street or actually using the real name of a bar or a street. And I do think that does form a kind of map uh for you for you as as a way of seeing the world, and I love that specific quality and i with lodge forty nine I've just been so crazily lucky in that you know i I wrote a scene you know where uh Dud and Ernie are playing golf, and we actually ended up filming that on the little golf course in Long Beach where I play with my dad um and that was just a chilling moment of uh you know somehow. I don't know, the way these things work, I, I know I'm especially lucky to be able to do that. Um, but I think in any type of writing, when you are digging into your own world, um, you should talk about it like it is magic, you know, no matter how mundane. <laughs> and I know something about this song, I think, speaks to that, that, you know, your own little place is is kind of creating the reality. And before I I'll say one more thing, there's this, in the Crying a Lot 49 is a reference to this painter, uh, Spanish painter, Remedios Varo, um, who uh, he talks about these paintings where she is, um, there's a princess in a tower and she's, she's weaving this tapestry that flows out of the tower into the world and it becomes the world. And I, I do think there is some inherent truth to that, that we, we are weaving our own reality um, and we do so in Cartesian shacks.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. If we can, if, and if we, if we think it, that's the world we're going to live in. And if we can get other people to think it and believe in it, then it becomes a reality that sort of has a life of its own. Uh, Yeah. I like how you said, like, that, uh, about James Joyce, that, uh, his, that his stuff was, would you say, was vision, was it, would you say it was surrealistic or, but basically that it was, that it was that because it was true, that by telling, yeah. the, there's nothing more magical than just telling the truth,
1: <laughs> right?
0: Yeah, I mean, on one level, you can look at Ulysses as the most realist novel ever written, yeah. um, but it is it is so beyond that. It's fantastical and takes on all of history and all of, you know, it, it weaves all these things together, but I think because he starts in a grounded place, Yep. And it's just, you know, uh, it's Stephen Dedalus who has, you know, six cents in his pocket and is trying to figure out how he's going to buy a drink after lunch. That's where everything starts. And then you get into the deeper, crazier stuff.
2: And that's a perfect segue to get into your question. But before we do, I just want to leave one little teaser for those who haven't seen season one. And if you have, uh, then this is just a little Easter egg for you. I think it's interesting that the, that, Part, people have been focusing on sort of what happens to Dudley at the end of season one as being the real season one cliffhanger but I think that what happens to Ernie and what he yeah. what he discovers about the shack. The magical shack with all of its uh, labyrinthine layers I think that's the the real kickoff for me and that's so I think that's a a fun little there's a a lot of shack references in your show I knew that we were synchronistically connected Mr. Gavin I just knew it Uh, (laughs) Um, uh, so, uh, so I want to encourage listeners to stick around for tomorrow's episode where we're going to be getting Jim's question for the Pop Oracle in just a few your host, Andros Jones, wishing you lots of spine-tingling synchronicities, connections with the natural world, and all the inspiration you can handle.
1: It's the Radio Wave